0: I got to tell you, I sure appreciate all of our music folks. Help us worship. Would you agree with that? And with that, I want to welcome you to Easter Sunday 2012, the high holy day on the Christian calendar. Churches all across the world today, full of people walking in to say, We're grateful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's us, right? But I want to kind of swim upstream a little bit today, okay? Some of you may not know necessarily who I am. I'm the new pastor around here. And uh, if you don't know me yet, you'll know that uh, one of the things that I like to do is swim upstream against some of the rather traditional ritualistic uh, religion stuff, And so I want to do that a little bit today, a little less than uh, a normal kind of Easter service, or at least sermon. I want you to ask, ask you to take your Bibles and go to two different places, Luke chapter 23 and Mark chapter 15, and we'll be in Luke chapter 23 first. Now, as you're turning there, what I really kind of want to train your thoughts on a little bit is as we come to Easter Sunday and where it's all celebration and praise and all of that as it should be, There is also the reality that many people, and I'm going to even take a stretch and say most people filling churches today are living lives that are more like Crucifixion Friday than Resurrection Sunday. This world that we live in has a way, because of our fallen condition, because of the power of sin, this world has a way of taking its toll on us and leaving us scarred for the process. A number of years ago, Teresa and I and our kids uh, were on our way to see a friend and uh, took us through Oklahoma City. And it was after the terrorist bombing, Tim McVeigh and that group, uh, of the Murrah Federal Building there, but it was before they had finished all of the Memorial Park and all that that was out front. And uh, I had a friend who had lived in Oklahoma City at the time, and the, at the moment that that bomb went off, I was on the phone with him, and when the bomb went off, it cut our conversation off, the phones went dead, and later we found out and put it all together that that's part of what had happened. And so because he was there and serving a church in downtown Oklahoma City, I wanted to go see that spot, and we took our kids and we drove up to the area. And again, this was before they'd done all the memorial stuff. And as we pulled in and parked, I began to notice immediately, before we could even see the spot where the bomb went off, that truck bomb went off, we could see the effects of that bomb on the buildings all around. There were holes in buildings, uh, you know, yards away, 100 yards or more, away from where the bomb went off, where debris had been thrown across and windows shattered. One building was still totally empty and uninhabitable because of the damage done from the shock wave when that hit. And we walked around the front to where the actual bomb had gone off, and I started replaying in my mind the scenes of the rescue efforts As we saw them for hours upon hours digging through rubble and trying to find survivors from that. And at the time I thought how horrible people can be in the way we treat other people. Through the years I've found that church people, Christian people and non-Christian people alike suffer at the hands of other people. We just have a way of being really wicked in our dealings with one another sometimes. Now we can do the other side too. We can be incredibly loving and supportive and all of that. But it's it's the horrible stuff that seems to stick with us. And many people on this Sunday walk in to this church or any other church and while everybody's singing and celebrating about the great victory that Christ had over the grave, as we should do, but while everybody's doing that, there are those people in church who are going, wait a minute, (laughs) what if it doesn't feel like Easter in my life? If that happens to be you today, then I want you to really pay attention to where we're going to go with this message. Because I'm not going to give you the typical, normal, Easter Sunday preacher stuff. What I really want to do is give you something that will take you past Easter Sunday to Monday and beyond. What we find in these passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today is Jesus on the other side of the cross from Resurrection Day. It's as he's going through what we call the cross event, the passion event, as he's arrested, as he's beaten, as he's ultimately nailed to that tree, as he ultimately gives up his life. What was it about that and how he handled that that helps us live today and tomorrow and those days that are ahead? I want to give you an Easter message that lasts past Easter. It's what I really want to do. So let's look together. And we're going to look at three different prayers that Jesus prayed while he's on the cross. Okay? So I've titled this sermon, It's Easter, So What? Um, I don't want you to shoot me. Okay? Sacrilegious or whatever you want to call that. We have to know that the majority of the people outside of churches on Easter Sunday morning are saying this. When the egg hunts are done and the Easter bunny puts himself up for the year, So what? What difference is made in our lives? I'm going to argue today, big difference is made because of what Jesus did on the cross that we celebrate today. Luke chapter 23, the first of these prayers that Jesus gives us. Now, as we go into this passage, you can leave it up, Spencer, but as we go into this passage, I want to give you two working definitions of prayer. Well, maybe not definitions as much as implications Now, two weeks from today, we'll start the process of preaching through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching about prayer. It'll take us a few weeks to get through that. So some of this, I'm front-loading that. I'll give you these two working implications of what prayer is. First of all, prayer is a positioning tool for us. It is a positioning tool for us to intimacy with God. Most people... Tend to, well, maybe not most, let's be a little more po- uh, positive about it. Some people tend to look at prayer as if it's one of those religious hoops that you jump through. It's a way of kind of doing the right thing so that you can win God's approval to your side enough to get Him to work for you. But prayer, in its ultimate sense, Is a positioning tool for us towards intimacy with God. It's a give and take. It's a relationship, this thing called the Christian life. And prayer is one of the key communication elements. And so it's that, but it's also a positioning tool as we cooperate with God. Newsflash many people think that prayer is to get God to cooperate with our plan, it's really the opposite. Prayer, as it positions us for intimacy with God, also reveals to us some of what God's up to, and we cooperate with him in the process. Now, the reason I say that is we see that in Jesus at this point. We saw it with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? It's where he goes there. It's a night before he's arrested, and he takes his disciples there, and he says, hey, y'all need to pray for me. Big stuff is up. And the disciples go, right, God, we got you. We're with you. We got your back. And so they go over there and take a nap. And see, Jesus goes and prays. And Scripture records for us what he prays there just before he's arrested is, I'm going to put it in leaves for you, okay? What Jesus prays is, God, you got to be kidding. I don't want to go through this. Do you know that prayer? If you don't know that prayer, memorize it. God, you got to be kidding. I don't want to go through this. Okay, so I'll put it in King James for you. Father, let this cup pass from me. I like my version a lot better okay? because that's one that I make up when I'm praying. When you got to be kidding, I don't want to go through this. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but yours. You see the positioning there? You see the cooperating with God's plan there? Jesus teaches us with his prayer life that life is about God, not me. It's an important point. Even on Easter Sunday. Because Easter Sunday, we easily want to take the message of Easter and say, It's all about me. And it's really all about him. That's what we just got through singing about. We're elevating Jesus Christ because he did something no one else ever has or will do. So Jesus' first prayer. Now we're back to the passage of Scripture. This is at the crucifixion point, And here's what it says. And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. Now here's the prayer. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now I'm going to stop reading there and ask you a question. Uh, Are you kidding me, Jesus? It, It might help us to get a full picture of what the crucifixion event was. You realize that in Roman society, and particularly the Roman justice system, that execution by crucifixion was reserved for the worst kind of criminals. This was so because it was the most horrific kind of death that you could imagine. The beatings that took place before they ever nailed them to the cross were such that most men didn't live through the beatings, much less through the crucifixion part of it. I could get all kinds of graphic for you about what happened and what they did in that one verse where it says, and they crucified him. But Jesus went through incredible agony at that moment. And as the video showed us a little while ago, he didn't deserve that. He didn't deceive anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't wrong anybody. Jesus did that even though he did not deserve it. And what's his prayer? No, let's switch it for a second. Let's put you on that cross, and you did not deserve it. What's your prayer for those people who put you there? Now, see, I like Jesus' disciples. There's a little story in the New Testament that Jesus is working his way through the countryside. And this one group at one little village start jumping on him and, you know, basically bad-mouthing him and insulting him and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus moves his disciples further on. But I like the two disciples that said, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on those people? That's a, in the modern context, we would say, shall we nuke them for you? Now, isn't that us? We just turn the tables, put yourself there. When somebody harms you, Is your first prayer that God would forgive them? Not me. Some of you know me well enough to know already. That's probably not our preacher's first prayer. Now, I want it to be. I want to reflect what Jesus is reflecting here, but that's not the human way. The human way is you hurt me, and I'm going to hurt you right back. As a matter of fact, if I think you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you first. That's the old golden rule. Do unto others before they do unto you. It is amazing to me that Jesus takes this moment and the first word out of his mouth is, God, you got to forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So let's stop for a minute and ask the question, how could he do that? Now, one of those... Another Easter thing for us that I want to make sure that we're really processing well is on Easter Sunday, especially, we want to so emphasize the divinity of Jesus that he was God. He was. okay we should emphasize that. But we so want to emphasize that part of him that we lose sight of the human side of him. He's in real pain. In all of this. We'll see in the next passage. That we're going to look at. This was a big deal for him. It's not like he's just going through the motion. Saying okay let's get this over with. So how could he. Move past that human part. To the divine part. That says. I'm suffering an injustice here. But God you've got to forgive them. Now I'll submit to you. That the way he could do that. It's because he knew that the crucifixion was not the last act in the play. By the way, this is no play. This is real deal stuff. But the only way Jesus could ask for forgiveness for them is because he knew that one of the reasons he was dying in the first place was for them. But they're not any worse than we are. Because scripture tells us that it's our sin that put him on the cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus could look past the circumstance of the moment and the personal injustice that was being inflicted on him, he could see beyond that to what the real purpose of it all was about. If he didn't know that there was a resurrection coming, I don't believe he could have prayed the way he prayed here. So before we go any further, let me just stop and nail this down really hard for us. How do you treat people Who come against you? How do you treat people who inflict damage on you and it's not your fault? When you pay a price that is not really yours to pay. How do you deal with them? I read a book one time by a theologian. Who was actually writing about this topic. But he wrote from a first person perspective. He was on the wrong side of the ethnic cleansing that occurred in Serbia a, lo- a number of years ago now. He was part of that group of people that the, uh, in that cleansing that they called it that was happening there. They were just wiping out people left and right in that Eastern European country. And he wrote this as a theologian to say, I had to come to a point in my life that I knew that I could not retaliate against those people. Because God loves them just like he loves me. I read that thing and I thought, this guy is far beyond where I am in his Christian walk. But It takes me to these kind of things. It takes me to our lives every day. Every one of us sitting in here either are currently or have been or certainly will be suffering some kind of an injustice that's really not ours to suffer. And yet it's there. The message of Easter has to move off of Sunday that one time a year. It has to stretch into Monday and every Monday of the year so that we realize that this is not an isolated event for us. It is an everyday reality. The implications of Easter stretch for us into the way we tie our shoes every day, especially at those times when we're suffering at the hands of other people. That's the first one. Let's look at the second one quickly. This is in Mark chapter 15. It's another prayer. I'll read verses 33 and 34. But as we come to this, well, I'll give you a chance to get there. Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. And it says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Now, let me stop for a second. I asked this in the earlier service. Let me ask it here. Any of y'all in here speak ancient Aramaic? No? No hands going up? Nobody speaks ancient Aramaic? Okay. So you're not going to know if I mispronounce these words, right? All right. Good enough. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means... Listen, listen carefully and remember who we're dealing with here. Jesus says this prayer, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let that sink in for a second. I don't want to get locked into this full-blown discussion this morning about the theological implications of what Jesus is saying. If you want to just kind of trip through those yourselves sometime, ask yourself this question Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, Jesus is God Himself, part of the Trinity. Is it, how is it that God abandons Him there? God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Son, how did you, what's going on? Where are you? Is a better way to say that for us. You ever feel that way? Have you ever prayed this prayer? It's it's like, well, let me put it in my terms. Come on, God, what's up? Those times when Easter Sunday and the celebration of it all seems a lifetime ago because the garbage of life has crowded in and piled up. My best prayer is, God, you've got to be kidding me. It's very possible. I would say it's more than possible. I'd say it's a certainty. Given the number of people here this morning, I'm guessing 10, 15,000 people it looks like from here. I'm, I'm guessing it's a certainty that somebody's here today. Maybe lots of us, somebodies. And our prayer is, God, you have got to be kidding me. Where'd you go? Celebration of Easter seems a long ways ago sometimes. When that's the case, what do we get? Where's God in times like that? This is a place where Jesus reveals his Jewishness for us. It's a good time for me to remind us all that as much as we like to believe Jesus must have been a 21st century North American kind of guy, He was not. He was a Jew. And he was from way over in that part of the country where, you know, part of the world, you know, where we're going, those people sure like blowing stuff up, seems like. Jesus was a Jew, full-blown Jew. And at this point, this prayer gives us a little inkling of that. Jesus, well, let's do this. Remember what this says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now, we're going to jump back. Now, don't take time to turn to it. Spencer's got it here for us. Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And David writes this psalm, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, time out, stop. Have you heard that before? Recently? See, this is the test part where I see if you're even with me or not. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Okay, so time out. If King David, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, if he went through times that it seemed like God stepped out, and Jesus went through times where it seemed like God stepped out, do you think it's possible you might go through those times? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You ever prayed that prayer? Let's let it sink in. Jesus Christ, Son of God. God in the flesh. Who walked with God. Who did things on this earth that no man has ever done or could do since. And he feels abandoned by God. I understand it at the moment. I understand how he, could under, how he could feel that at the moment. He's nailed to a cross. He's dying one of the most terrible kind of deaths any of us could imagine. And at that moment, all of the humanness of him comes and grabs his Jewish past. This comes from a psalm, by the way, that one scholar calls a psalm of orientation. It is one of those kind of psalms, you'll find several of them as you work through study the book of Psalms, where the psalmist comes and he gives this basic orientation of life that says, God is good, God is with me, God takes care of me, and that's what he holds up. And then something has happened that just totally blows the orientation. And he moves from being oriented with God to being disoriented in life. It's like God stepped out of the picture totally. A dark night of the soul, another guy later would call that. It's that part of us when we want God and we're looking for God and we're searching for him, but it's as if the heavens are brass and we can't get through to him. It's not all that surprising to me that we feel that. It surprises me a lot that Jesus sensed that. But you see, you've got to understand that the reason Jesus sensed that there is because of the impact of what was happening with him. It was not just a good man dying on a cross. This was God himself, the Son of God in the flesh, as he took all of the sins of all of humanity from all time. And he took them on himself, and they're nailed to the cross, Scripture tells us. That means your sin. I know some of us sit out and say, No, I'm not that bad a guy, preacher. I never killed anybody. No, but you wanted to. You probably, some of you going now, I wish he would just be quiet. You see, you'd kill me if you had a chance. It means I'd let you go to lunch early. Well, maybe not kill me. See, we set up this kind of arbitrary value system, and I'm not that bad a person. No, but you're still a sinner. You may be a great person, but Scripture says we're born in sin. And because of that, we're alienated from a holy God. The reason Jesus was on that cross was to bring you and God back together again. There's no life like the life with God. You experience that and you taste that and it's like going, man, how could I ever not want this? And that's the life that Jesus lived with God all the time. All of his years on this earth and all that he did and all he taught grew from that relationship with God. And now as he takes on the sin of the world on the cross, it's a separation time. When you feel separated from God, when the weight of this world, whether it's your sin or the stuff that's happening to you, when you feel separated from God... Don't forget Easter. See, the way Jesus is able to endure this moment is because he knows God's plan requires this moment. Doesn't lessen for him the impact of the moment, but it does get him through the moment. Some of us are wondering how we're going to get through the moment. It's as if we dropped the signal somewhere with God. See, the tendency that we have with that then is to think God doesn't care. Let me put this on your cell phone use for just a second, okay? You ever been talking to somebody on the cell phone and you get out in the woods or something like that and your company drops the call? You ha- that make you happy when that happens? I've, I've had calls like that where it dropped the call and I call them back and these people the other side. I'm And you know what they always do? They always blame it on the company. They always blame it on the company who's supposed to be supplying their wireless stuff for them. Sometimes our life is such that we go through times of separation from God, whether it's our own sin that does it. Sometimes God's just silent in the midst of it. And our tendency is to want to place it all on Him and say, hey, what's the deal? What's the deal? Do you not care? Remember Easter. Easter's more than just a Sunday, it's a truth. And the truth of Easter is that Jesus Christ, who felt abandoned on the cross because he bore the sin of the world, rises from the dead and he stands now, sits now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, always making intercession for us. You know what that means? That means he's hearing you. And those cries that you think nobody hears, because of the resurrection, Jesus is with God saying, hey, you know so-and-so down there, you know our kid down there, Mark? Yeah, no, he's he's a... Well, he's a foul-up for sure, but he needs help today. If it wasn't for Easter, those times of abandonment would be hopeless for us. One last one I want you to look at very carefully. Back to Luke, Luke chapter 23. When you feel abandoned, what do you do with it? Our tendency when we feel abandoned by God is to walk away. This is a statement of allegiance for Jesus. And it was now about the sixth hour. By the way, this is the same basic setting that Mark just talked about. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And this curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed this last. Now, make sure that you're putting these together. Same setting, some of the same language as we just read with Mark. In Mark's gospel, Jesus said, Father, where'd you go? But he turns right around, and even though feeling abandoned by God, he says, I commit my spirit to you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. See, the message of that for me is that even when God seems distant, we hold fast to the truth. This world will be full of all kinds of untruths that we'll try to hold on to. And it'd be like grabbing a spider web and it looks good for a while, but you grab it and there's just no substance to it and it'll make you fall. Jesus comes to this point Makes a statement that's based on trust. We don't know what he did with the pain of the disconnect, except we know that he immediately turns and he says, I trust you to do what's right. Now, do you know how he knew that? Because he knew the Father and he knew the plan and he knew there had to be something beyond the death. Do you know that today? that once the celebration of Easter is all said and done and you go back into the work world tomorrow or you go back into your family environment, you go back into whatever it is in your life that's really working on you, do you know enough about God's heart and love for you to take you through Easter into Monday? I know that that old famous saying is, it's Friday but Sunday's coming. (laughs) That's the churchy thing. The real thing is, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And then what are you going to do with Monday? Because Monday's coming. And all of the fanfare of Easter will be done. And we'll get back to just normal living. But Easter has to mean something for us. So what I really kind of want to hold up for you this morning is that, so what it's Easter? Well, the so what of Easter is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That means the power of the resurrection in the Son of God himself who died because of his love for you now is appropriated to you to get through Monday. This is not a one-day thing. This is a life thing. What a great message. But the problem of our situation is we're so focused on circumstances that when our circumstances go south then we kind of want to look for a different god i know that because i'm a dallas cowboys fan i remember when the cowboys used to be awesome that was like in the 1840s or so let let them lose you know 15 games in a season they want to replace the coach imagine that God is interested in you. He's interested and involved in the circumstances of your life. Jesus, as he hung on a cross, having felt abandoned by God, immediately turned and he said, I'm in your hands. (laughs) What a great prayer. So whose hands are you in this morning? I know it's Easter. We all, like to come to handle the truth of Easter and it's a great little thing and we take it off the shelf sometime and polish it up on Easter Sunday. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't die for you just for a little bit. He was all in. I know we're a church crowd. We don't get that gambling term. He's all in. And so was God. And when it came right down to it, Jesus said, I trust you. Now, Wade said this in the first service, and it's worth repeating. If Jesus had said, I'm all in, and he died on that cross, and there had been no resurrection, then all he would have been was just another martyr. History is marked by martyrs, people who believed in the cause and gave themselves to it. Jesus ain't no martyr. He's God. And the resurrection shows it. And my prayer for you is that your life shows it on Monday and Tuesday and every day after Easter. Let's pray. Father, help it to be real for us. With all of the pain and the sorrow and everything that was attached to the crucifixion itself, We see Jesus Christ walking through it, trusting you. We know because of Easter that that trust was well placed. So let it make an impact on us today. And the implications of that day so many years ago would stretch through the centuries and find a root in our hearts that would grow into a full flower. Of faith, Father, I know a crowd like this, there's probably people here with deep pain in their life. Some things, maybe even hopeless-looking circumstances. Maybe their prayer has been, where'd you go? Today, Father, my prayer is that you, the risen Lord, would speak truth to them, would speak in such a way that even this moment they would have assurance that you are alive and that you care and you love them as much today as you ever did. Father, help us to invest our lives in that truth. If there's anybody here today who's wandering around through life looking for what it's all about, talk to them. Save them out of that lost condition. Bring them home to a relationship with their Creator. Only through Jesus Christ, and we claim that in Jesus' name.